Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the lawyer for Watergate whistleblower Deep Throat compares Watergate to Obamagate. I suppose if you think the guy is really guilty of something, it's not treasonous. But if what you're doing is you're trying to unseat a president, kick him out of power, it's certainly a soft coup. It's certainly criminal. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Attorney, author John O'Connor is standing by to discuss the Washington Post's role in covering up Watergate and betraying his client, Mark Felt. Before that, please take a moment to check out my website, strangeplanet.ca. It's been completely redesigned. I think you'll find it much easier to navigate and it looks great. And special thanks to my web designer, Rick Forgus. Also, make sure to scroll down to the bottom and register for my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. Just a heads up that I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM this coming Sunday, May 31st. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. Deep Throat is the pseudonym given to the secret informant who provided information in 1972 to Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Deep Throat provided key details about the involvement of U.S. President Richard Nixon's administration in what came to be known as the Watergate scandal. In 2005, 31 years after Nixon's resignation and 11 years after Nixon's death, family attorney John O'Connor stated that former FBI associate director Mark Felt was in fact deep throat. By then, Felt was suffering from dementia and had previously denied being deep throat, but Woodward and Bernstein then confirmed the attorney's claim. In his new book, Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism, revealing a profoundly shocking tale of journalistic deceit. In an era when numerous modern media outlets rail about the guilt of their political enemies for speaking untruths, Postgate proves that the media can often credibly be viewed as the party actually guilty of deception. Americans today mistrust the major media more than ever. Postgate suggests this distrust is richly deserved. John O'Connor, welcome. How are you? Just great. Uh, Good to be with you. How did you become the attorney for Mark Felt's family? Well, I believe I earned it, uh, very frankly. Uh, Richard, I... uh, Back in the 1970s, when I was a federal prosecutor, I was fascinated by the book All the President's Men and the character Deep Throat. And I felt that uh, I could use all the clues to determine who uh, Deep Throat was. And I thought it was important because I wanted to know if, in fact, our government was set up to be self-curative. That is to say, if someone in an important position helped cure our system of justice. By 1976, I figured it was Mark Felt. Didn't say anything about it for 25 years, raised a family, went into private practice, and then I'm sitting at my dining room table with my daughter's friends from Stanford University, and one of them tells me he's the grandson of a guy named Mark Felt. And uh, 
I almost fell out of my chair and I said, well, Nick, do you know that your grandfather's deep throat? And he said, no, he's always denied it. In any event, I came up, started to see him, started to talk to him, started to make him feel like he was a hero that I understood where he was coming from. We're both Justice Department guys. My dad had been an FBI agent. I knew Bob Mueller. I knew Bill Ruckel's house, the head of the FBI for a while, who was my dad's partner. So I earned his trust and pretty soon, and after a while, it took a while, and finally said, you know, he's going to agree to come out. And uh, so then it took me some time to get uh, the story published because no one would believe me. My client had a little bit of dementia and they thought he was just a goofy old man. Excuse me, John, when did you come to the realization that the Washington Post had not really uncovered Watergate, but in fact that they had helped cover it up? In, in, in the course of that, uh, I got into some interesting stuff about Watergate, and I just got curious and curious and curious as I dealt with the Washington Post and thought I would start doing a critical analysis of their reporting, which I'd always thought was brilliant, right on, on the mark, wonderful, et cetera, et cetera, in contrast with today's shoddy journalism. Well, lo and behold, I find out that rather than this reporting being an exception to today's shoddy journalism, I believe it was the cause. I believe Watergate journalism, while accurate in many respects, covered up a good portion of Watergate intentionally uh, to the detriment of all of us. And really, and so that in a sense, Richard Nixon did not get a fair trial, guilty though he may be on technical obstruction of justice, so was Bill Clinton. But the question is, did the president get a fair trial in the public uh, court of justice? And my answer is no, he did not. And what it is, it really, there's a straight line between from there to the present, sorry, state of journalism. And when we're now today trying to get rid of the president on a scandal mainly hooked up with the aid and comfort of the media, the only way you could get Russia gate. Uh, seriously taken was to have a media that was complicit rather than being a watchdog. The only way you could do Ukraine gate is if you have a media willing to go along with really deceit. Uh, and I've written about this. The media covered up key facts about Russia gate that they knew they covered up key facts about Ukraine gate in a whole, in an effort to once again, get a presidential scalp. And that's one of our lessons, unfortunately, out of Watergate, was if you can get a scalp, a high-ranking scalp, guess what? You get a mansion, you get a movie, you get best-selling books, you're a hero, you're on TV. You don't do that. You don't get any of those rewards if you're simply a hardworking reporter trying to tell both sides, trying to get the facts out as best you can. You may get esteem and uh, respectability, but you're not going to get wealth, fame, fortune, and all these things, and even for that matter, Pulitzer Prize. So it's a sorry state. We have incentivized deceit, uh, contrary to the wishes of our founding fathers who saw the free press as being something that preserves liberty. Unfortunately, today, the free press, which is somewhat monolithic, um, is one of the big uh, factors in our uh, mobocracy, in the factionalism that the founding fathers were trying to avoid with the First Amendment. Going back to 72, it was the managing editor, I believe, at the Post, Howard Simons, who coined the nickname Deep Throat for Mark Felt. Um, right. So you, you say that they, they betrayed your client, Mark Felt. How did they do that specifically? Well, first of all, first of all, I'll give you some answer to some of it, because it really goes from the very first article they published in the book, I talk about all the promises I made to Mark Felt, which they breached. And I don't want to step on all my, the fun and the intrigue of my book. Uh, and then later on, they did a lot of other things that were very, very hurtful to Mark Felt personally. But besides the personal, I would say, betrayals, they're more important betrayals. And they're betrayals that by betraying him and the information he gave to the reporters, they're betraying the American people and depriving them information. And let me give you an example. You may remember this if you've seen the movie or read the book. All the President's Men. One of the most uh, dramatic episodes in both is Deep Throat coming into the garage very much agitated, uh, wild, 
very uncharacteristically afraid, his lips trembling. And he said, everyone's life's in danger. And it came from the CIA. And they're going to wiretap you. They're going to kill you. Watch out. Now, this is a dramatic episode in both uh, both uh, deals. Uh, but yet we're left with the idea that nothing ever came of it. And in the book, that's what Woodward and Bernstein said. Oh, nothing came of it. After a while, we just went on our way. We weren't cautious anymore. Well, if you read my book, you'll see that that wasn't so. And you'll see that, in fact, had they listened to Felt and had they published what he said on deep background, he's deep throat. After all, I'm Howard Simon said that he's on deep background. Therefore, he's deep throat. There could have been very, very good reporting about the fact that the CIA was so intent on covering up its role in Watergate that it was threatening lives. And by the way, seemingly did take at least one life and threatened others. Uh, may have taken uh, two or three lives, but certainly took one. I detail it in my book. Uh, and yet none of this was reported and by design. Uh, and one of the things I talk about is that if you're, there was only room for one, one victim and one villain, and they decided that Nixon would be the villain. But in fact, one of his protagonists, his antagonists, I should say, was the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, which was the target of the break-in. That the DNC had some dirty secrets there that the burglars were looking at, and uh, the Post hid those as well. And I think that's the reason they hid the CIA's involvement, because outing the CIA would also out the DNC. So it is a very, very intriguing, highly interesting, complicated matter, far more interesting than the story that came out, which itself was sensational. But we should have had, Richard, we should have had a three-ring circus rather than a one-ring circus. And it would have been not only more fun, but it also would have been more educational for our country to see this clash of institutional forces. Uh, this is far deeper than simply a president who's got the thuggish side of him. Uh, it is far more down to the marrow of the bones of our constitution. These forces that are on one hand, we want to preserve individual liberties. We don't want people breaking into our homes. On the other hand, we want to protect our country from enemies. And so we want to be able to protect those uh, or, or to protect our country by, <laughs> by in some cases violating what otherwise would be the constitution and the FBI is trying to be the straight man in all of this. And there are all kinds of forces and also the power of the executive versus uh, the power of the legislature. All these forces come into tension and clash in Watergate. And yet the post deprived us of really what would be a very exciting civics lesson. And it was very unfair to Richard Nixon. So from Watergate to Obamagate, and here we have the uh, the media, of course, saying this is much ado about nothing. So I wanted to ask you about something that has come to light recently, and that is, well, details of it has come have come to light, and that's the unmasking of General Michael Flynn, who was the uh, incoming Director of National Security, and he was unmasked, we've discovered, by the Obama administration. First, for my listeners, can you explain what does that actually well, mean? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you two things about it. The first thing is unmasking is when we do have, and, and I talked before about protecting ourselves from foreign enemies. We do a lot of eavesdropping, wiretapping, or electronic surveillance of, of what we think are foreign uh, threats to our government. Sometimes in the course of, say, overhearing what the Russians are saying, somebody from Russia, for example, will talk to somebody from America. Because we are trying to protect the rights of that American, we mask him. We say, if I'm talking, for example, to a Russian person, no one needs to know that I'm talking to him. Uh, it's my right of privacy. I'm an American citizen. Unmasking only comes when the national security people say, gosh, it's really important who the Russian guy was talking to, because he was talking to Joe Blow. It's not important. But gosh, if he was talking to John O'Connor, maybe, maybe John O'Connor's a spy. Let's unmask and see if it is John O'Connor and who was talking. So that you unmask and you find out who was talking to the foreign government. There, I see unmasking here 
as being mainly just a marker, an indication of intent that people were out to get Flynn. And the reason people in the administration of Obama were out to get Flynn was because he, of all people, knew that this Russian intelligence uh, deal was a big hoax. He knew that where the bodies were buried, he could look at the Steele dossier right away and see it was a phony. Whereas other people in Trump's cabinet could not. And I don't think H.R. McMaster, who ended up being his national security advisor, had a clue. He's a guy who did position papers with a lot of footnotes. But Flynn was the guy they were afraid of because guys like uh, Brennan and Comey knew that they had been doing bad things and were going to get caught. Now, let me tell you this, Richard, and this is where it really gets – it's interesting. He may have been overheard on a conversation, Flynn, with Soviet Ambassador Kislyak. Yes. And it may well not have been an unmasked conversation because it may never have been masked in the first place because the CIA may have intercepted that quite apart from our domestic rules because Flynn was in the Dominican Republic over Christmas. Kislyak, I think, was in Russia. So if you have a foreign a person in a foreign country talking to another one in a foreign country, the CIA can listen to those under another regulation. They don't have to mask, unmask, any of that stuff. They probably actually heard Flynn on an unmasked conversation. It's highly unusual that the CIA will pick that up, but they did. So here's so the masking only has to do with the intent, the intent of Obama to get him. Now I'm going to get to the punchline about where I think Obamagate is. Okay, That meeting in the Oval Office of January 5. Right. It was a special meeting called for a special purpose. And one, there were two aspects to this. One is regular law enforcement, the stuff the attorney general does every day, crimes, criminal investigations. It was very clear from the memo, everything was to be as it was. There was no real discussion of that. That's when Obama said, do that all by the book. We're just going to do it as we always do it by the book. The real discussion was as to intelligence investigations, because the Russian investigation was an intelligence investigation, a counterintelligence investigation that we would do on al-Qaeda, that we would do on Saddam Hussein, on any of our enemies. We would do a counterintelligence investigation. Now, a counterintelligence investigation is a national security investigation that is not the province of the attorney general, even though the attorney general could help on it. It is the province of the president of the United States and his national security team in the Oval Office. That's who heads up a counterintelligence investigation. So if you are going to withhold information about that counterintelligence investigation, from the incoming president and his incoming national security team, my view is you are obstructing justice. Now, I think Obama, when you read between the lines, Obama was worried about what Comey was doing. I think these people, to be fair to all of them, were worried about Comey because it's very clear in Rice's memo that Comey seems to be intent on withholding what he called sensitive uh, information. Remember, this was not a criminal investigation. There were no criminal cases opened. This was solely counterintelligence. And now Comey's saying, I'm going to withhold information from Trump and his national security team. Now, we don't know what all was said, whether Obama said, go ahead and do it. Don't do it. I wish you wouldn't. And to be fair to Obama, he can do anything he wants up to January 20th. Normally, before, in the, when there's an incoming team, you share this information before January 20th. That's the normal thing by the book. You sit down with the national security team and you, you, know, you, you debrief them. You tell them everything that's going on. It's Obama's right, and it wouldn't be illegal for him to say, okay, we won't do anything before January 20th if you don't want to, Comey. But the real question is, and that would be unusual, it might be unethical, but there's, it's not illegal. The problem is everybody in that room knew that Comey was up to no good and that he was going to withhold information past January 20th. So, and, and he did. So what happens? January 20th comes and goes, and guess what? Comey, first chance to get marches Andrew McCabe and another guy over to the White House to sneak in on Flynn and question him without any warning to the White House, which is normal and ethical, without warning Flynn 
that lying is a crime, normal and ethical, without telling the White House, by the way, we've intercepted this conversation between Flynn and Kisley, without any of the normal ethical procedures, and more importantly, withholding information from the president and his team about his own investigation, a counterintelligence investigation, that is obstruction of justice. If you look at the Mueller report and all their discussion of what obstruction is, this obstruction fits in every one of the 12 categories they Mm. talk about in that Mueller report. So the Mueller report proves Comey guilty beyond uh, any shadow of a doubt. And if you analyze it that way, now, to be fair to Sally Yates, Sally Yates, for your listeners, was the attorney general at the time, and the holdover of Obama eventually got replaced by Jeff Sessions. When she found out that Comey had sent Andrew McCabe, his top guy, over to the White House to question Flynn without any advance warning, without any notice of what this phone call that they had overheard was, she was flabbergasted. She tried to stop it. Comey said, ha ha, too late. He's already on his way to the White House. Then in the White House, McCabe puts his feet up on the desk. They act like they're just a bunch of guys BSing around and get him to say something. And and it's really even arguable whether Flynn really lied, but that's not the point. The point is they didn't tell Flynn, who's a national security guy who had a right to the information. They didn't tell Trump, who clearly under the Constitution is the head of all national security matters as commander in chief. So what we have here, this unmasking is really a sign and a symptom that people know that something dirty is about to happen to Glenn. Whether any of those people are responsible, I tend to say right now that Sally Yates isn't. Whether the other ones, whether they encourage it or discourage it, I don't know. But I do know one thing. I do know James Comey knew about it. I knew. I do know James Comey was withholding information. And I do know that Andrew McCabe knew what was up there, too. So those two guys, to me, if I'm a prosecutor, I'm going to put my bullseye right on them. Uh, Attorney General Barr the other day said, well, I don't think I'm investigating President Obama or President uh, Vice President Biden. I don't think I think we got to watch out about going too far to, uh, you know, charge the other side with a crime. I tend to agree with that. I think, you know, you shouldn't immediately claim that they're guilty of something. But it would be nice to know what was said at those meetings. And I suspect that what's going to come out, if everybody tells the truth, I think it's going to turn out that James Comey basically said, I don't care what you guys say, I'm not going to do it because I'm an arrogant guy and I think I know it's best for everybody and I'm just not going to do it, sorry. Okay. And he was out there to trap Trump. Okay, so I wanted to pick up on a couple of points here. First of all, yeah. we're told that unmasking is, is very common. Now, uh, it may be very common, but should it be in your estimation – in terms of civil liberties and so forth, should it be legal? Well, I think it should be legal, frankly, under the theory that we have the right. This is where the there's a tension between civil liberties and the, and the duty to protect the country. The question is, is how you control people who abuse their powers. In, in this case, they were clearly abused. Uh, and how do you control it? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. That's where you might need some form of inspector general to do nothing but see. And this is how the FISA court started. The FISA court started for the same reason. Mm -hmm. How do we know this isn't political when you're going to wiretap somebody for national security purposes? And it may not be national security. You may hate the guy. Well, so for example, you have a FISA court. Joe Biden or someone in his office made a request to unmask Samantha Power, the U.N. ambassador. I mean, what does she have to do with the uh, national security team? Why would she be making a request to unmask? That seems rather strange. She'd have absolutely no business doing that. That's what's so terrible about it. I mean, she, of, of, of all people, should not be doing it. I mean, I can see some excuses for other people to do it. But she certainly should. She's not anybody that enforces anything. She's a United Nations person. And how about that Joe leads Biden? Me to believe, well, he had no purpose either. I mean, what's <laughs> his purpose would only be political. And right. I think he was probably interested in in just uh, seeing Trump go down uh, because a lot of this. Because remember this, 
if Flynn gets in there, he probably is a guy that's also going to get Biden for Ukraine. See, if I'm Biden, I'm very worried about my liability in Ukraine because he and Kerry probably got a billion eight in foreign aid for uh, the clients of his, of their two sons. So, right. Uh, Kerry's son and Biden's son. And they got this foreign aid. Everybody's focusing on firing the prosecutor. They should focus more on the billions in foreign aid that went into the ether once it got into a guy's bank, bank named Igor Kolomoisky. Nobody ever saw that money other than Igor Kolomoisky and the Burisma guys that uh, Kerry and Biden represented, that Heinz and Biden represented. So uh, there was no reason for Biden to know that other than probably he was afraid of Flynn. He also knew that uh, they were trying to trap him. Uh, this, uh, January 12th is when David Ignatius of the Post uh, started a series of leaks designed to trap Flynn. They started leaking about how Flynn may have violated the Logan Act, uh, which was an act that's never been prosecuted that says you cannot uh, conduct foreign affairs uh, when you're not a, a part of the administration. It's a silly law. It's never been uh, implemented. It's never been prosecuted. But they were trying to get Flynn scared into lying about having talked to Kisley. So he talks on December 29th. After that, starting with Comey, they start leaking about how Flynn may have violated the Logan Act. And that's certainly, the and, leak is illegal. And, and There's that, no question that the leak to the press is illegal. And the, absolutely, yeah, that's illegal. The Logan Act's not illegal. So the other thing that Comey uh, taught us, because Comey was the guy who trapped Scooter Libby years ago. Uh, just for my listeners, Scooter Libby was the former advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney. Right. And he was convicted of lying to federal investigators about the outing or, or public identification of Valerie Plame, who was a, a covert CIA officer in the early 2000s. Right. Yeah. In that case, that case was all about a leak investigation. And remember, all the reporters who were hauled into court, some were put in jail for not talking. And finally, they all ratted out who leaked to them. And I think that's you can do that in a criminal investigation. That's one of the things that Comey taught us in the Libya investigation is you can do that. And I think in this case, uh, we ought to do a leak investigation and put reporters on the stand, including these guys from the Post, and say, who leaked to you? You're under oath. If you don't answer the question, you're going to jail, buddy boy. Uh, and so we can find that out. Uh, and the ironic thing is you have two forms of illegality. One is the obstruction, one is the obstruction that I talked about. The second one, as you point out, are, are, are these leaks of classified information? So I think you're going to find that there, there were several, probably several leaks. They're probably leaking like a sieve. And if you recall one of the uh, e uh, texts between uh, Page and Stroke talked about our sisters leaking like a sieve, uh, that the sisters were the CIA. So they know the CIA was leaking like a sieve about this Russian investigation, maybe not just Flynn, but the in Russian investigation period. Those are illegal leaks. Um, so um, I think you're going to find there are some people there that are responsible for that, probably in the CIA. You've probably got the FBI, the CIA, maybe the White House, people in the White House leaking. Uh, but it's a, it's a rat's nest. And it's people who are, in my view, so arrogant and think they're so right, and that Trump and his forces are always so wrong, that, that the ends justify the means. Uh, we're just wonderful, clean people doing the right thing. We're getting rid of Hitler. Well, guess what? You know, you, you shouldn't break laws. Uh, and if you break a law, you got to pay for it. More of my conversation with attorney author John O'Connor when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I'd like to tell you about a health supplement everyone should take. Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com. Eighth Element is a combination of cordyceps specifically formulated to provide optimum health, endurance, and maximum performance for today's active lifestyle. 
Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com is a proprietary energy enhancement blend made from all natural ingredients and made specifically to increase actual energy and athletic performance. This combination has been found to stimulate the immune system and increase physical stamina and endurance. Eighth Element from GetTheTea.com is the ultimate cordyceps combination, the only one of its kind. Five strains of cordyceps are brought together from five different ecosystems to provide a superior performance edge, unlike any other performance product in the world. Build your stamina and increase your energy with 8th Element from GetTheTea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. John O'Connor, the author of Postgate, is here. I wanted to pick up on a couple of other things regarding the unmasking. First of all, what is so unusual or suspicious or worrisome about an incoming national security advisor during the transition period reaching out to the ambassador of Russia? It's done all the time. Well, right. Obama did it. And as a matter of fact, you want to do it because it's something that eases tensions. The last thing you want is mistrust. When you get somebody in office that you haven't talked to before, um, nerves can be on edge. And just maybe sending a battleship cruise to the wrong place will start um, some sort of conflagration. So the reason you have diplomats is to ease these tensions, to make sure there's no misunderstandings. Don't worry, we're not here <laughs> to do this to you. And, and this is something that is done in every transition, and it's very, very good practice. Everybody would agree that it is the best practice. And, and what's so terrible about this is, is not only was Flynn doing the right thing and easing the tensions on these sanctions that Obama had put on for political purposes only, easing the tensions with Russia, but at the same time, they are withholding from Flynn information about the Russian collusion investigation. Uh, and that itself is really harmful when you know that, as Flynn should be doing, he's talking to the Russians. Well, wouldn't it be a good idea for him to know about Russian interference? Wouldn't it be a good idea for him to know about Russian collusion when, if there is any, when, and, and, you know, and of course there was none, but I mean, interference in the election, if Russia did interfere, shouldn't he know that? Uh, and he's talking to Kislyak because it was one of those things that maybe you kind of bring up and said, look, we got to deal with this, et cetera, et cetera. We, we're not going to stand for it. But they're not telling him the whole story is my real problem. And so not only are they trying to criminalize what Flynn was doing with his phony Logan Act thing, uh, really what they were doing is they're trying to get him to lie. Uh, and they get him to lie. Then the idea would be they could then twist him and uh, and make him blurt out something about Trump being guilty of something. See, they were using Flynn as a pawn. Right, right. They thought that he would not only discover what they're doing in the Russian investigation and would expose them, but also he could be a pawn to get to Trump. Now, a couple of other things here. One is that uh, I'm not sure if it was Peter Strzok or McKay, but someone, whether they testified or went up to the House, they spoke to uh, as a Devin Nunes a Republican congressman, former chair of the National Intelligence Committee, and right. and said that that Flynn had not lied. Now that that document right. apparently has mysteriously gone missing. Surprise, surprise. The other thing is, so there's there doesn't seem to be any clear evidence that Flynn lied. The other thing that's interesting is that McCabe, when he was testifying about the unmasking, he was asked about, I think they call it an intelligence product, whether it's a, an actual audio recording or a transcript. He said there is none, which is kind of strange. It, it, it almost suggests that maybe there was a third party listening in on this conversation. Is it possible that... The Obama administration went to a third party, some other uh, intelligence uh, group from another country to do the, quote, unquote, uh, dirty work. And, and is that illegal? Well, it's not. And I think they were doing that. Remember, this whole Russia investigation started with a joint investigation between uh, John Brennan, the CIA and British intelligence um, uh, 
DCHQ, I think they call it part of MI, MI6 and 500, but DCHQ is who did a guy named Robert Hannigan. And he and um, Brennan were thick as thieves since um, December 2015. So, yes, in answer to that, it's a very astute question. Um, when I talk about somebody intercepting, it could have been the CIA, but it could have just as easily been uh, foreign, another intelligence agency that was working with us. Part of the intelligence group on the Russian investigation was the British. The British were helping us. So you talk about foreign interference. <laughs> we're using, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but we were using British intelligence and then decrying the fact that maybe Flynn was uh, the Flynn alleged or uh, Trump allegedly was talking to the Russians. Well, uh, yeah, the British probably picked it up uh, and uh, it, it could have been the CIA, but it could have been the British. And that's why there would be no intelligence product that or that or what uh, McCabe is also could be saying is there's no intelligence product I can give you because the CIA did this under their secret super secret powers and they don't have to give it to us if they don't want to. That's another interpretation. Uh, but one way or the other, it was not a regular domestic overhearing in which unmasking was required. So they had the transcript someplace They had the transcript of that call and uh, with Kislyak and, uh, and Flynn. And yeah, the other thing about it is the initial, the guy that initially wrote this up with, he was went with McCabe and he's an honest guy. His name's Pienka. And I think McCabe rewrote Pienka's 302 several times. And eventually the 302 ended up being an interview with Stroke. In other words, somebody then interviewed Stroke, I think not until July, like uh, seven months after the interview, uh, six months after the interview and Stroke said, okay, here's what he said in the interview, and that became the 302. That is really, really odd. I've prosecuted a lot of cases. I've used a lot of FBI 302s in my career, and I've never seen anything that phony and that weird. Uh, 302 is usually something that's dictated, you know, within a short time after the interview, and it is the agent's best recollection of what happened. Uh, so little words are very important because I think Flynn kind of hedged. Well, you know, I might have said something to him, but, I, you know, he was very – Wishy-washy, but not the agents thought, uh, or this Pienka thought, uh, in a way that was being deceptive. He admitted that he talked to Kislyak, and, uh, you know, and so uh, whether he was just trying to soft-soap the fact that he had talked to Russia, or he really just didn't recall, I mean, the interview was, what, 25 days later, he's probably had, you know, 300 conversations between the two, uh, so it's it's hard to say. But Pienka did have the feeling that the guy was not lying to him. And it also was the case that if Mueller had not been uh, chosen, nobody would have prosecuted that. That was very clear. It was Mueller that chose to prosecute it. If that was a crime, they should have prosecuted a lot much before Mueller got appointed. So everything that happened points to your idea that he probably didn't lie, uh, or at least not provably so. And certainly not materially so, because there was nothing really at issue on that. They knew what was said. Um, the investigation of Flynn himself should have been over, and because of administrative blunders had not been closed, they shouldn't be talking to him. So the whole thing stinks, is what I'm saying. Do you see indictments coming? Will we see uh, Comey, Brennan, others indicted? Well, I hope so. And I think the best, I think we're... Uh, Durham was originally going on this. I think he'll still go there. He's going to try to drill down on these FISA applications, and I think uh, he might be able to get Brennan and McCabe on those. Uh, I know Comey has been saying to anybody who will listen that, gee, he was so far, so way ahead, uh, above. Uh, the people who did these uh, uh, FISA declarations, boy, he barely knew anything about it. Well, he's going to try to get out by saying he's too high up the chain to really drill down and know that this these applications were phony. I would agree that Obama probably didn't know, know it, but I think Comey knew it. And whether he'll be able to wiggle his way out, I don't know. But I do think that uh, what I say is I'd like to see him investigate Comey on, uh, on obstruction of justice, which he clearly did, withheld information from Trump. He clearly did that. But I think on the uh, FISA stuff that Durham is doing. I think people like McCabe, Stroke, 
there's a fellow that changed a report that made it uh, that changed uh, a report that got to the court's file where he said that uh, uh, Page had not cooperated with the government before, whereas in fact he had. They knew Page back in 2014 was a loyal American that was cooperating with the, with the government, and. He said just the opposite. He changed the report. So that guy's going to I just don't know his name. I can't forgot his name. He's going to be indicted. Uh, maybe McCabe, maybe uh, Brennan. Uh, I hope Comey, but maybe not. Uh, and uh, I don't know about this guy, Bill Priestap, who is a was uh, he seems like an honest guy. Actually, he's uh, Strokes uh, boss. He seems a little, like a little better guy than uh but maybe he knew this stuff was uh, wrong, too, and he went along with it, in which case uh, I hope he, he's not guilty, but he might be. Well, had that interesting text exchange between Strzok and Page. I think it was Page that said to Strzok, POTUS wants to know everything regarding this whole right. Russian investigation, which, again, seems to lead to the very top. Right. The only thing I would say for for Obama is this, that the way reporting works Nobody is going to report to Obama what they know. For instance, I'll throw out two names. Joseph Mifsud, the supposed Russian guy that was really Western intelligence that came in to get Papadopoulos. Then the heart of the Steele dossier is a guy named Sergey Million. Those two guys. Nobody's going to report to Obama, I don't think, that Mifsud was an intelligence plant. We're just setting up Papadopoulos. And they're probably not going to report that, by the way, this guy <laughs> that gave everybody the Steele report, everybody knows he's a phony and doesn't know anything. He's a guy with a walk-up apartment on Astoria Avenue in the Queens, and he's saying that he knows Putin and he knows Trump, and he's right in the middle of both sides of this, and he's a, he's a nobody. Uh, and, they, and, and, and I don't think that's going to get up to Obama. So while Obama was probably loved the idea of screwing Trump, and probably was talking to everybody about it. I think what these guys did is they got the political people in the White House all excited that they were really going to crush this guy. I don't know if you've heard this Evelyn Farkas, for example, who's a woman who's talked a lot about uh, how, gosh, we really got to keep this alive. We've got to let everybody know what Trump's been doing. She, People like that lead me to believe that the political people in the White House but we're kind of not told the whole story by the intelligence people. The intelligence people were acting like superheroes. Look, that we're getting Trump. But I don't think they'd be stupid enough to say we're doing it illegally. We know this is phony. Uh, they're probably going to paper the record pretty well. So I think what happens here, let me give you an example of where Durham's going. He goes over to Rome where this guy, Joseph Misfoot, hung out. And he got a deposition of Misfoot that was given to the Italian authorities. And they heard the deposition in a locked room, and, and uh, that was all they needed. So the question was, who sent in Joseph Misfoot to try to set up Papadopoulos? And he, where Misfoot acted like he was a Russian and was going to introduce Papadopoulos to Putin's niece. And by the way, Russia this, Russia that, Russia has dirt. If he was sent in there by Western intelligence, which he was, um, and he said so on deposition, and and he was sent in by somebody that Brennan knew. In other words, if it was such a, a referral that Brennan knew about it, well, now you've got Brennan. And if Stroke and Comey knew about it, well, then then they also knew that the FISA application that regarding Misfood was phony, and that Papadopoulos was set up for the whole idea that he had anything, any dirt on Hillary Clinton from the Russians. That was the whole idea because they put this seed in Papadopoulos' mind. Then three months later, they send in this Alexander Downer, the Australian guy, to get him drunk and say, oh, by the way, I heard there was dirt, that you know that there's dirt on Hillary from the Russians. And Papadopoulos sort of didn't say much at all. But then Downer reports, oh my gosh, Papadopoulos says there's dirt on Hillary from the Russians. And that supposedly was the start of the investigation. But if you know the source of the supposed dirt from Papadopoulos was a Western intelligence plant, and you did not tell the FISA court, by the way, this is all hooked up by us so we can trap Trump. And we know that there wasn't anything to this, that we sent in that plant 
starting with Papadopoulos. Now, all of a sudden, you have people that are on the hook for concealments from the court. So that's where I would say that um, they're looking at Brennan and his group, Stroke, uh, particularly uh, perhaps Comey, who I think was really involved in this, and McCabe. Uh, And those are the guys that I would look at, and I will eat a box of popcorn and be very pleased if somebody... uh, goes after them because I just think what they've done is at the very least it's highly unethical and you hope to see somebody held accountable for what they did. I don't normally cheer for indictments uh, when people are acting in good faith, even if they're mistaken, even if they blunder, we shouldn't criminalize everything. But when it gets to the point where your country is roiled for three years by false accusations and where the confidence in the president is undermined by suggestion he's a Russian agent. That is, And that really um, hamstrings him in his ability to conduct foreign affairs. Because if he goes and puts his arm around Putin and tries to make nice, which is a good idea uh, in many cases uh, for foreign relations, now all of a sudden he's accused of being a Russian stooge. So it ties his hands as to what he can do with Russia and other places and Ukraine and everything else. And so this kind of stuff, while it's politically aimed, hurts our country. And that's where that's why I'm really bothered by this. If it were just some more political thing back and forth, I'd hold my nose and say, okay, it's not important. This is important. This should alarm everybody, everybody in Western society, everybody in Europe, Canada, America, we should all be concerned about this because we all are jointly defending each other against our enemies, and we hope to have alliances uh, that will strengthen us all. And if a president of the United States is weakened by this stuff, it affects Canada. It affects Western Europe profoundly. Uh, And I just hate to see this happen, and I hope that in the future some prosecutions here will make everybody sit up and take notice and will end this nonsense. That's my hope. Now, you tell me what you think from your point of view. I mean, do you see it that way in Canada? Uh, well, yes, but I, I just had one final question, and that is whether this this constituted a soft coup, and is this treasonous? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I got to look and see what's treasonous. I mean, I suppose if you think the guy is um, really guilty of something, it's not treasonous. But if what you're doing is you're trying to unseat a president, kick him out of power, it's certainly a soft coup. It's certainly criminal. Uh, Is it treasonous? Uh, That may go too far just because I think the people doing it would say, oh, gosh, we... We thought he was a terrible guy, and we weren't really trying to undermine anything. We love the Constitution. Here's the flag. I'll wrap up myself around it. But it certainly is criminal, and it is a soft and, – and the worst part of it is a soft coup. It's disloyal. Let's put it that way. It's disloyal. It's treacherous. I don't know if it's treason, but it's treachery. And it's disloyal to everybody, not just Republicans, not just conservatives, but everybody in this country who we all have a right. We all should be hanging together. As Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. And uh, especially in things like foreign relations, let's not play games with criminal activity here like they're doing. And try, like you say, a soft coup is the best way to put this. They certainly got rid of Flynn. The coup got Flynn, didn't it? Well, <laughs> The president may bring him back in. Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, uh, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. John O'Connor, how do we get a copy? Well, I would go to postgatebook.com, my own site, or go to amazon.com. Postgatebook.com will have all the reviews. Amazon.com will have, have some reviews. They're uniformly good. Uh, People are excited when they read it. It tells you about everything you need to know about Watergate, Deep Throat, and Watergate journalism, and who's lying and who's not. (laughs) Very intriguing. Uh, It reads like a a thriller, but it will tell you a lot about our history and and, and helps you to understand today what's going on today. John, thank you so much for this. This has been a blast. Thank you. It's great talking to you. 
Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. The discovery of carbon-60 is likely to be the most amazing chemistry discovery of the late 20th century. And my friends at C60Evo.com are the world's number one manufacturer of C60. The safe, consumable form of pure C60 is called ESS60. And the mighty Aphrodite and I take a tablespoon every morning. ESS60 is the C60 formulation used in the famous 2012 original Paris study that showed ESS60 doubled the lifespan of rats. ESS60 from C60Evo.com is raw C60 that's been produced, certified, and guaranteed for safe human consumption. ESS60 from C60Evo.com is a powerful molecule that acts as a nano-antioxidant to attract, stabilize, and neutralize free radicals. It's also known to have 172 times the antioxidant power of vitamin C, 172 times, which may be why people are feeling healthier on C60. All I know is the mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping great and we're both pain-free. To get your bottle of ESS60, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the c60evo.com link. Use the code RS1SPEC to get 5% off. RS1SPEC and get 5% off. It's time to start taking responsibility for your health. Time to support your immune system. Join the mighty Aphrodite and I. If you want more energy, mental clarity, and a great night's sleep, ESS60 from C60Evo.com. Again, go to the episode notes and click on the C60Evo.com link and use the promo code RS1SPEC to get 5% off. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, remote viewer Deborah Lynn Katz reveals what she describes as the greatest conspiracy, the greatest cover-up, that of intuitive faculties and the potential of humankind. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>